You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio with Tom Hopkins Burke. Your show will begin shortly. Tune in, talk it out. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Oh, we duck. It's Thursday, it's 4pm and this is The Drive Home with me, Tom Hopkins Book. Today's show is all about target grades. They are a useful motivational tool or are they detrimental to pupil progress? This is your show, so I want your views texting and calling to share your thoughts on this show. Tune in, talk it out, live on Podbean. This is Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. live and we are ready to go welcome to the drive home on teachers talk radio that's the first time i've ever said that my name is tom hopkins burke today is thursday the 21st of october and i have a 90 minute show for your entertainment this afternoon my aim is as always to talk about some of the tricky subjects from a relatively informed perspective and leave you with some talking points to take to the staff room with you and of course to spread the word about teachers talk radio if you were tuning in today expecting to hear the wonderful seb ventura you've come to a right place but just not at the right time seb's unable to host today so i'm stepping in for one week and one week only it's show number 23 for me today on teachers talk radio it's the first one on a weekday a little stat thrown in for you there it's the first time you've heard me for almost three weeks now and i want to hear from you today firstly are you on half term already do you get two weeks off and if you do, how's the rest of your school year affected? We get a fortnight off in October. I think it's utterly brilliant, but it does mean we have to stay for longer in the summer term. This summer, we break up on the 28th of July. If you go back to my shows from that month, you'll hear me complaining about that. On balance, though, for two weeks in October, it's perfect. It's really, really, really good. And I'll stay for however long you want in the summer um, just to carry, to have that two weeks in October. I think it's sacrosanct. I couldn't do it without it, I don't think. Um, or alternatively, do you have one week off if that's you? I just want to say hang on in there. You've done a brilliant job so far this year in the most unusual circumstances. You've probably seen your workload shoot up. It's been a half term like no other. One more day to go. Hang on in there. The break is within reach. What work have I done in my four weekdays off so far? 
planned a lesson today, but apart from that, absolutely nothing really. Um, I've been practicing the keyboard part for our school's production in January. That's kept me busy. And I've been researching, of course, for this show. In addition, Football Manager has kept me company. The new one's out next month. Um, and at the moment, I'm in 2035 trying to build a dynasty in my fourth season in charge of Manchester United. We did get knocked out of the Champions League by Bayern Munich in the last 16, but we have won our fourth successive league title. Of course, other sports games are available. Before I introduce you to our first guest today and begin our discussion on target grades, it's time for the latest education news with Megan Goods. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools have faced warnings this week from data privacy watchdogs following the rollout of facial recognition technology in canteens. The systems were initially installed to be more COVID safe, allowing students to make contactless payments. A spokesman for the schools implementing the new technology said the software makes payments faster and over 97% of school communities had given their consent for it to be used. However, a spokeswoman for children's digital rights group Defend Digital Me argued that biometrics should never be used for children in educational settings. No ifs, no buts. It's not necessary, just ban it. The focus group recommended that the least invasive option always be used where young people are concerned. Three schools across Buckinghamshire have been targeted this week by anti-vaccination campaigners. The protest groups targeted the schools with loudspeakers, flyers and QR codes which students were encouraged to scan to listen to a song warning them about the alleged dangers of the vaccine. Police were forced to attend one of the scenes to disband protesters. The county remains on red alert for potential anti-vaccine protests at their schools and have had to issue guidance to staff at schools on how to handle demonstrators. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. 
Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It's 4.08pm. It's Thursday, the 21st of October. Today's show is all about target grades. How does your school use target grades? From the start of Year 7? From the start of a GCSE course? From Year 11 only? At all? Are they shared with parents, with students, or just with teachers? Back in October 2016, former head teacher at Huntington School in York, John Thompson, announced that he would no longer be publishing data targets to students or parents. He said, and I quote him directly here, uh, the idea that a school policy should put a cap on students' outcomes seems so ridiculous. There are, no, there are enough things which inhibit their progress, for goodness sake. No, we have been liberated at Huntington by our decision not to inform students and parents of their target grades. The next year, Ben Newmark wrote a blog post titled Why Target Grades Miss Their Mark. He argued that the Key Stage 2 data used to generate target grade data was simply irrelevant in a number of subjects, and that the initial aims of a Fisher Family Trust, commonly known as the FFT, to use the data as a starting point to begin discussions between students, parents and teachers have been warped. But there are plenty of secondary schools out there who continue to use target grades in their everyday practice. The argument in favour, or one of the arguments in favour certainly, is that students need to know how well they are doing and how well they could do. Target grades, according to this argument, are a good way of assessing progress and keeping an eye on those students who are simply not living up to their believed potential. And some schools think that from the beginning of year 11, beginning of year 7, I should say, they can use target grades coupled with students' performance and, dare I say it, that flight path to judge a predicted GCSE grade at the end of year 11. Are target grades a good way of motivating students? Can they act as artificial glass ceilings that cap students' aspirations? And if you answer that question is yes, but you still think that target grades are a good idea, then why use them? And also, given the lack of Key Stage 2 data for secondary schools for the last two years, where are the targets for current Year 7 and 8 students coming from? And if you're not a fan of target grades, is it simply enough to tell every student that the sky's the limit and they can get a grade 9? Surely you need to set some realistic targets along the way? I'm joined by Dawn Cox for most of today's show. Dawn is a massive cheerleader for Team RE, as you can probably tell if you're in the Podbean studio through her icon. Um, she's worked in UK education for over 20 years, so I'm sure, Dawn, you've seen the target grade phenomenon rise 
everything that Dawn and I say is very much our own opinions um, and not those of our employers. And I'm sure Dawn will confirm that as well. And of course, if you disagree with anything Dawn says today, do call in, do text in. And if you call in, you can win yourself a Teachers Talk Radio mug. Uh, welcome to the show, Dawn. How are you doing? Hi, Tom. Good to good to hear you. I can hear you loud and clear. How are you? Are you are you still are you still at school or have you started your half term? No, well, I'm still at school as in we've got tomorrow as well. So um, yeah, tomorrow. just one day left. Well, only one day left. It's almost almost there. Um, brilliant to have you on. You've been on in the past. Um, you came on to ask a question to my RE panel <laughs> quite a while ago now. Um, my first question to you is then simply. In terms of target grades, what are they and how, in your experience, are they formulated? Yeah, just to um, obviously confirm what you said before, all I'm going to be saying is kind of my opinion and it's not the opinion of my school or my employer, just to say that I'm quite passionate about it. Um, so most target grades, different schools generate them differently. Some will use kind of um, information from organisations such, as you said, Fisher Family Trust. Some will use their own kind of formula using um, Key Stage 2 SATs. And some will use internal um, kind of testing, maybe in year seven or later, to generate a grade that's then shared with a student, a GCSE grade. Obviously, now we're one to nine. Um, and they can be used in all different ways with teachers with senior leaders middle leaders uh teachers and then obviously the students themselves so are, are they really targets then they don't sound like targets mm. they sound more like estimates don't they mm. sort of similar students to you most commonly achieved this grade rather than i would like you to aim for this grade so how have they sort of become targets um, I do think it comes down to individual schools and how they use them. So um, I've not used Fish Family Trust for a few years, but when I did, it used to be estimates for each with the probability of getting each each grade. And then somehow that kind of mutated into kind of picking the, the most likely one and saying, well, that's your target. Other schools do actually say this is your minimum. So it's the minimum that we would expect you to get. There is no ceiling on it. Um, but some will say, um, you know, this is what we think you're most likely to get. So I think schools do use them differently. You know, there's a really interesting point now. I'm, re I'm reminded of a blog post by um, David Didow, who gave an example of a student of, who had a supposed target grade of a B. Um, this was before the nine to one grading. And he showed on his blog post this bar graph, which is the percentage likelihood of getting a particular grade from that mm -hmm. particular starting point. But in that particular example, the students projected to have a 39.2% chance of achieving a grade B, a 31.7% chance of achieving a grade C, and an 18.2% chance of achieving a grade A. Now, that student's target grade would be a B, but actually, weirdly, if you think about the maths, it's not the most likely outcome because a probability of what just under 0.4 suggests there's a 60% likelihood that this student will not get a grade B. And it feeds into a point made by Ben Newmark that most students do not achieve their target grades. And actually, they are statistically more likely to not achieve them mm. than to achieve them. Um, and if you're telling my next question, I suppose, is. If you're telling a student that their target's grade B or maybe a grade six, what sort of messages might that be sending to that student, either deliberately or inadvertently, if you're telling that student that perhaps their target is a grade six? 
Um, well, I strongly disagree that I don't think that we should tell them um, targets at all in that way. Um, I think that for some of them, it will seem like a, a mountain to climb. Um, and for some of them, it will seem like obviously they, they think, well, is that it? You know, I want to get better than that. What does that actually mean? But I think I think the, one of the biggest problems is that we as um, teachers have kind of taken a grade and have kind of made up a whole raft of information that they are calling a grade six. So you hear people talking about, here's a grade nine question or a grade six question or grade four. Well, of course, there's no such thing, you know, within most subjects, although kind mm -hmm. of math sort of argue, you know, through us saying that to the students, we've come up with a whole narrative to try to fit in with that. And it's all basically a load of nonsense because there's no such thing as just one set of criteria that make a grade six um, grade. There's so many ways of achieving it. So mm -hmm. I think um, the yeah. students, they just they kind of just believe what we tell them, really. Yeah, I suppose, I, I suppose so. I mean, I, I should say from my perspective, I've never heard of in history a question being described as, oh, this is a grade six question, this is a grade four question, this is a grade nine question. What I have seen is responses to, say, extended questions, which is like, oh, this, might, this is a grade nine response, mm, and a gr yeah. this is a grade six response. And I think there's a point in there which you've hinted at, which is actually that's not a particularly valid way to be looking at answers because of how grades are calculated and the spread of marks across the entire paper and certain questions can't you know and certain you know marks out of 12 or out of 16 can't then translate to oh that's a grade eight or that's a grade mm -hmm. five so that's the sort of message we're sending to a student whose target is a grade six I picked that quite deliberately because my next question is what if a student is told that and I appreciate you would never do this, but if a student is told that their targets are grade three, mm. what message is that sending to them? And what, and especially if they know what that, say, the child who sat next to them, their target grades are eight, and the child who sat behind them, their target grades are seven, or you know, their best friend, their target grade is a nine. What telling that child their target is a grade three? What message, either subconsciously or deliberately, is that sending to them? Yeah, I mean, we, we we don't know how children process this information, but you could argue that it, it might um, decrease their motivation because they might think, well, that's all I can get and therefore I only need to do X, Y and Z. And, you know, in the past, people have kind of differentiated and sort of said things like, to get a three, you only need to make two points instead of four points. So, again, it's kind of lowering expectations in a way and students might feel that um, demotivated by it and um, yeah, just it's not one of my biggest problems with uh, target grades is that comparison. <clears throat> Students always compare. They always want to know, well, what did you get? What did you get? And it, it, it's such a, a nonsense way of getting students to think about their learning. And they do it. It's a natural thing. We all do it, right? We've mm -hmm. all had essays, you know, as adults, you know, in our undergraduate, um, postgraduate. And we, what's the first thing we do? We look at the grade. So, of course, this student is going to look at that grade and think, oh, well, I'm a three and the person next to me is a seven. You know, I'm not very good. Well, I, I don't think that's great for motivation because if you give that grade to them at the beginning of year seven, they've got five years of looking at that grade. That's, that's not going to motivate them. Great, great answer. Thank you. Um, but surely if they're given 
and I'm playing devil's advocate <laughs> here, surely if they're given, say, a grade with formative feedback on how they can do better, that would motivate them, surely. And then if they get another, write another essay and they get a better grade on it, then mm. surely that's going to motivate them to do even better. Yeah, I mean, there's there's research between um, looking at um, when we give students grades or marks and formative feedback. And um, some of the research suggests that students will look at the grade first and mm -hmm. ignore the formative if the grade isn't what they want it to be. Um, I'd argue that, I mean, we're talking about grades here. There is a difference between using grades and marks. Mm -hmm. A mark is a, is, is a different thing. I think we, we kind of, we're really misinforming children if we turn a mark, a smaller mark, you know, than than would be in both papers or all the papers at GCSE into a grade. Um, so, you know, if your school says that you have to do it, I'd really recommend giving the formative feedback um, and getting students to improve their work in one lesson and then you know telling them a mark or a grade at a later point so that they've engaged with that feedback first I think you know I think everything that students do should have some sort of kind of formative ele element really mm -hmm. not just summative otherwise it's you know you're a six what yeah. does that even mean it doesn't mean anything Mm. No, I, I agree with that. Thank you. Um, it's interesting. It links back to a point which David Didow made in that blog post, which I mentioned earlier, which is he makes a point that grading work, also known as extrinsic pressure, is often used in an attempt to improve results, but it doesn't work. Um, which is very interestingly because uh, interesting because I was looking at a 2005 research paper um, by Emma Smith and Stephen Gorard. Um, based on 104 year seven pupils, it was split into four mixed ability teaching groups. Uh, three of the groups were given minimal comments, um, but they were given marks and grades. And the other group was given enhanced formative feedback, so-called for a whole year, but weren't given any marks or any grades. Um, the analysis of progress at the end of the year suggested that the treatment group with formative feedback only. This is my question then. What do we think? Do we think the group um, which got formative feedback only made greater progress at the end of the year, the same progress or inferior progress? Any ideas, Dawn? <laughs> I'm not going to say because I'm going to get it wrong now. <laughs> Astonishingly, the group which only received formative feedback made substantially inferior progress to the groups which were given minimal comments but marks and grades, which kind of suggests that one of two things that I'd love to hear mm. your thoughts on this. Firstly, actually grades are motivating. Or secondly, it really depends on the quality of performative mm. feedback. And perhaps if it's linked to a mark, then actually that is more motivational. So perhaps marks and even grades, perhaps on a full set of mock papers, um, might have a role in motivating students. Love to know what you think about mm. that, Dawn. I don't know if it's the same paper that I've read before, but there's a paper where um, a similar thing happened. And then later on, the um, it was shown kind of what the formative feedback was, and it was rubbish. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't really for formative feedback at all. It was like, well done, you've done well. This was a good answer. Um, so actually, it wasn't um, – I don't know if it is that paper. It may but, well be. Yeah. That actually, the, the comments, it, it looked like it was kind of showing the opposite, but actually 
actually the comments, uh, they put some examples of the teacher comments and it's not what I would personally call formative feedback. It was more, you know, kind of praise and um, mm -hmm. that sort of comment. Um, so I think it does depend on the students. It depends on the school. I don't give uh, marks and grades to my students. And of course, other people do. So they, they've kind of almost got that expectation but I make sure that they've all got something that they can do to improve. So in a way, I'm hoping that the, the motivation of making it better each time and learning each time is, is a motivator for them. Um, obviously, I strongly believe that it helps them to make more progress. Um, mm. But obviously, that's kind of biased to my view. Um, and, and whenever I've, I've been told, you know, when I have to give um, a mark or a grade, straight away they turn around and go, what did you get? What did you get? They're not interested in themselves. They're more interested in other people. Um, some schools use that to an advantage and they sort of almost have it as a kind of a ranking thing, which I'm not overly keen on. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that telling a student that, they, that this answer is a six and they need to make it a seven in itself is nonsense. If you mm -hmm. can give formative feedback, why then bother with, with the grade? You know, just give them the formative feedback, tell them what they need to do to make it better and make it better. Um, and perhaps yeah. by sort of putting a grade on somebody's work, it automatically stops it from being formative and it makes it sort of summative if you're grading thing, you know, if you're grading pieces of work yeah. like that, it loses the impact which you describe absolutely and certainly i read one of your blog posts um, from i think 2016 um and you talked you get you stuck in this sort of checklist am i right in terms of some mm. of the curriculum based or subject based things yeah. or perhaps specification based things which they had achieved and had not achieved in that particular yeah. work uh, piece of work is that something which you still do is it something you've adapted yeah. That's exactly what I do for feedback um, at GCSE. Basically, I've got a list of things that I want to see in their answer. And basically, they've either done it or they've not done it or they need to improve it. So they can really clearly see that they've done the things that is needed for that question. Of course, that question may never be asked ever again, um, but they they can kind of transfer that if, if we have like a similar question of four mark or five mark to the next time they do it unless it's obviously subject specific. I think, um, yeah, we, we, we've kind of started using grades because of kind of accountability. And actually, they, you know, they might have meaning for children with their results, but actually on, you know, a question, a grade doesn't mean anything. Whereas this very specific kind of things, what is it exactly you need to do on this question? Did you do it or not? is really clear for the students. I'd much rather than be able to tell me on a four mark question, I need to remember to write it into two paragraphs and include a quotation than for me to them to say, I'm a four, I need to be a five. Mm -hmm. it's, it's meaningless. So we use the criteria in so that they can see what they need to do and they can remember next time and that they can do it. But yeah, that's really interesting to hear, and it's certainly something which I, you know, which I try to do, um, even when we do have um, to give grades on pieces of work and things like that as well. Um, I want to talk about hot dog eating. 
Um, and I want to talk about James Theobald, who I remember took part in your lockdown quizzes quite a lot. I'm not quite sure how many answers he got right. Uh, I'm not sure he's here. Um, he, uh, he, this is his um, blog post about Takeru Kobayashi, um, who broke the world record for most hot dogs and buns eaten in 12 minutes. Um, the record in 1979 was 19, and by 2001 it was 25 and an eighth. Not quite sure how that worked. Um, Kobayashi, though, at nine stone, um, smashed the record and he doubled it to 50 hot dogs and buns. So he basically doubled the record. Um, he said that he didn't think about the previous record. He didn't care for setting a target. He just set about doing better at what he was doing. Now, James Theobald argued that Kobayashi defeated the cognitive bias known as anchoring, where we rely too heavily on a given starting point when we're making our decisions. And the other competitors at the time were being held back by anchoring themselves to what they thought was achievable. Now, Fantastic blog post by James. Um, really enjoyed. I've read it a few times. Really enjoyed it. Um, how, in terms of its link then to target grades and things like that, and in terms of thinking about students' potential, um, how can we sort of apply the lessons there to setting, even if it's not target grades, to setting targets for improvement for our students? Um. See, I think it's kind of high expectations that, um, you know, it's it's not worrying about what's happened before. It's, you know, every kind of opportunity is a new opportunity. I think I, I the phrase teach to the top, I teach to the top. I expect everyone in my class to be able to, I, I teach them the same thing and I teach them exactly the same kind of strategies and I support um, those students that need it. So I think um, it's, it, it's a psychological thing, isn't it? And we, we never know what's going on inside student brains. But if we kind of, as much as possible, don't limit what they what they think that they can and can't do, and we use language, and, and we, we're positive about what they can do, I think that's the better. If I say to them, and I, I still know that there are people that do this, you're a grade four, you only need to write two out of four points, write your two points, well, that, that's just going to limit them. Now, people think that's differentiation because that student will struggle to do four. Well, tell them to do four. You know they might only do two, but tell them to do four. So it, it's kind of, I, I think what um, James is saying, you know, it's not about um, kind of limiting what it, it's actually just being open to be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really noble aim. And I think, you know, teaching to the top is certainly something which most teachers in most schools are doing now. And we've sort of seen a death to differentiation of three different tasks and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I sort of worry that if we're telling sort of every student in our class that the sky's the limit and... You, you wouldn't use this language I assume but saying well my you know my it's like oh you've got these target grades but my target for all of you is a grade nine or it's a grade mm. a or whatever it yeah. is um but sometimes some students get pieces of work back and they get and they haven't done very well and they've got formative feedback on how to improve and they may have taken it in and they come back and actually they haven't done much better and actually they they don't seem you know they might be aiming for the stars but they're really struggling to get there so perhaps they perhaps they do need something just to set more 
sort of realistic expectations in order that they don't feel completely overwhelmed by massively high expectations? Not sure what you think about that one, Dawn. Um, I, th- I think the, the way that I try to teach is when I say high expectations, obviously um, I, I, I know that they're not going to be able to all um, meet all of the criteria on whatever question it is, whatever we're doing. But I think that um, I, I try to keep things as simple as possible, you know, and, and try not to overwhelm them. And when where needed, I'll use scaffolding. So those students that might feel a little bit overwhelmed can just have that scaffolding. And I do that over time. So I will um, very much kind of, it's like the kind of bike with the stabilizers analogy. You know, they'll all start with, with um, so for example, being able to use their notes if they want to with a structure in front of them and then gradually take away, okay, you can't use your notes on this one, but you can use your structure on this one. And then the next one, okay, you do you see what I mean? Kind of pulling away yeah. the stabilizers as you go along. And I think it, even with students that um, might be lower attainers, that helps them to feel confident. And, um, you know, I, I really don't think that everyone's, I never say to students, you're all going to get a nine. I say that if you if you do what I've asked you to do and you're here, you will achieve as, the best that you can. Um, so it is kind of personalised in that way. I certainly don't say that you'll all get nines because that would be just, you know, be lying. Um, yeah. But it, it, it is this um, kind of, well, what is the best that you can do? And I expect you to do the best and I'll help you to do the best. Is that, is it, I mean, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but is, is, that, is that not what target grades do? Say, this is, this is sort of, you know, the best you can do. And if you're doing better than that, then great, you can ignore that. But this is sort of where I expect you to be. But, the, but target grades don't tell them anything. How I Obviously, what I do is I tell them what it is they need to do to improve. Mm-hmm. Telling, as I said, you know, telling them you're a six, you need to be a seven doesn't tell someone any, anything. And um, again, people that make up things that are between a six and a seven is just making it up. Um, you know, there isn't anything that de- defines, although, of course, there are these DFE um, level descriptors, but we know that they don't actually make sense, <laughs> as we had to deal with in the summer. Um, yeah, thank, thank you for reminding me about those, yeah. Dawn. I, yeah. I try, I try to banish them from my memory. To yeah. be honest with you, but they just show um, you, don't they, why actually trying to identify a grade is nonsense? Because there are many ways that a student achieves a grade five in an in an exam. Many ways. Yeah. You know, in maths, they could have answered. Um, a few of the higher tariff questions and none of the low tariff questions or they could have answered all the low tariff questions and none of the high tariff questions or they might have done a bit of everything there are so many ways to get a grade five that if we use it as our language it's nonsense that there's nothing that actually makes something a grade five whereas I t- take everything that I know makes a grade nine the whole of the specification content knowledge and obviously the skills that I have to do, I teach them all, all of it. Thanks for that, Dawn. Um, if you agree with what Dawn's saying, then please do feel free to text in. If you all call in and offer your thoughts on target grades, remember if you do call in, you can win yourself a Teachers Talk Radio mug. Um, if you disagree with what Dawn's saying, alternatively, um, if you think you can do a better job of justifying target grades than myself, then please do call in as well. Um, I'm going to go to a quick news break and then I'm going to bring Dawn in again and we're going to discuss perhaps 
whether or not students should be allowed to set their own targets in conjunction with the school. But before we do that, we're going to have a quick news break. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools have faced warnings this week from data privacy watchdogs following the rollout of facial recognition technology in canteens. The systems were initially installed to be more COVID safe, allowing students to make contactless payments. A spokesman for the schools implementing the new technology said the software makes payments faster and over 97% of school communities had given their consent for it to be used. However, a spokeswoman for children's digital rights group, Defend Digital Me, argued that biometrics should never be used for children in educational settings. No ifs, no buts. It's not necessary, just ban it. The focus group recommended that the least invasive option always be used where young people are concerned. Three schools across Buckinghamshire have been targeted this week by anti-vaccination campaigners. The protest groups targeted the schools with loudspeakers, flyers and QR codes which students were encouraged to scan to listen to a song warning them about the alleged dangers of the vaccine. Police were forced to attend one of the scenes to disband protesters. The county remains on red alert for potential anti-vaccine protests at their schools and have had to issue guidance to staff at schools on how to handle demonstrators. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It is 4.37pm. It is Thursday, the 21st of October, and you are listening to The Drive Home with me, Tom Hopkins Burke. If you are tuning in expecting to hear Seb Ventura, then unfortunately he is not on this week, which is why you're hearing me instead. I'm currently joined by Dawn Cox. We've been discussing target grades. I've been doing my very best to sort of try and defend them, and Dawn's been eviscerating every single argument I've tried to put forward. So if you think you can do a better job than me defending target grades, then please do text in, please do call in, please do challenge some of the points which Dawn is making. Uh, my next question, Dawn, is if target grades are meaningless, um, if they make no sense to students, then should we maybe allow students to set their own targets, their own aspirational targets, and maybe do that by sitting down with their parents and with their teachers and coming up with something which is sort of motivational and agreeable to everybody in which the student has sort of ownership over? Is that something which you might perhaps support? Um, <laughs> um, I, I think we need to remember that teachers are the experts mm -hmm. and even actually if you're a newly qualified teacher in ECT actually you might not even know what a grade 
means. This all comes down to meaning. And um, so actually saying to a student, well, well, what grade do you think that kind of you want actually means nothing. You know, if you're at the beginning of the GCSE, you know, I once tried to learn skiing, which went badly wrong. But if you said to me, you know, what do you want? Well, I want to go down the black slope. You know, I want to do the tricks. I want to be spinning around. But actually, you know, we can all say that. But what's the point of me saying that? Actually, if they don't know what that entails to get a grade, actually, I'm, I'm not sure that asking them is a great thing because... Um, yeah, they might take ownership of it. But what if they say that they, you know, a student um, data suggests they should be getting a seven, they say, well, I think I'm going to get a three. Well, sure, surely, surely that's what surely that's why you don't just let students pluck a grade out of thin air. But actually, if they sit down with their teacher, they sit down with their parents, maybe at a parents evening or something and say, well, look, this is how you're currently doing. Maybe, you know, you're working very well at the moment. Why don't we say that your target is such and such? Um, rather than say if they're projected or estimated to get a grade five and they've done a full set of papers in their mocks and they got, you know, a so-called grade seven overall, then may, you know, maybe having this sort of sit-down discussion, as the FFT originally intended, let's not forget, they didn't intend schools to sort of take them and set mm. students' targets. They expected it to be the basis of discussions between the students, the parents and the teachers. You know, is there, is there nothing in here which is, which is worth thinking about? I personally would much rather talk about learning. I would much rather, if I've got a parent and a student in front of me, I'd much rather say, actually, what they need to do is work in on including this in their answers and this content and learning these keywords. The things are actually going to make a difference. Um, and we can identify them as we're going along. We can make it really clear. And this is how you can help as a parent. You know, saying to a parent, oh, let's agree that there are seven. And they'll say, well, what can I do? Well, you can help them be an eight. Again, I think it just needs to always be about the learning. The, you know, we are teaching a GCSE specification. We've got it in front of us. What is it that they need to do to improve to get there? I just think it's much, such a more fruitful conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So if, we, if we're looking not as at target grades, but at learning goals, as Ben Newmark's labelled them, as I think you may have labelled them as well before, um, drawn from the curriculum, um, that would be something which Ofsted would like, because I'm going to quote Amanda Spielman here, um, Chief Inspector. She said that based on the new framework, inspectors want to discuss what leaders expect pupils to know by certain points in their life and how they know they know it, rather than Byzantine number systems, which, let's be honest, can often be meaningless. Um, I was told by Ben Newmark, actually, one of the best ways to get your leaders to change their minds on something is tell them what Ofsted think about it um, and what Ofsted doesn't want to see so um and again you know with Ofsted's focus on the curriculum as progression model um and people like um, Amanda Spielman saying and Sean Harford as well who until August was um director of education saying we don't expect students to know their target grades we don't expect to see target grades stuck on the books of students we don't expect you know we're not going to look at internal data anymore um that might just be a way around getting SLTs to think differently about target grades it might also be worth looking at another i'm going to mention another research paper this one um 
a little bit more, what, what word am I looking for, um, fruitful than the last one I discussed. Um, it was a paper from the United States which surveyed close to 4,000 college students and it looked at performance-based goals versus task-based goals. Um, so performance-based goals are basically target setting using a, you know, a goal to earn a certain grade by the end of the course. Um, those are your performance-based goals. And then task-based goals, which is what you've been describing, Dawn, which is setting shorter-term goals based on the tasks which are required to earn those grades. Now, my question to anybody in the studio and to you, Dawn, is which of those had the larger positive effects on performance? The performance-based goals to earn a certain grade by a certain point or the task-based goals to work on the tasks required to earn those grades which one do we think had the bigger positive effects so sure. <laughs> I, I i think i know i think it's um the difference between novice learners and more experienced learners makes a difference with it yes um in well it, it talks about low prioritainers actually and how um well, the, the answer is the task-based goals based on the tasks required to earn the grades rather than aiming for the grades themselves had the large and robust positive effects on performance, whereas the performance-based goals did have positive effects, but statistically they were less significant. Um, and one of the authors of the report, Victoria Prowse, uh, said that when students are set performance-based goals to get a certain grade by a certain point. It's possible that they don't really know what work needs to be done to reach mm. that goal. And that's what you've been saying all along. Whereas task-based goals are more tangible. And by putting in the work to work on those task-based goals, the students went on to perform better. But she does point out that one limitation of the study was that when it came to those students starting from a lower starting point, the task-based goals were not as effective any any thoughts as to why that might be i don't know um the authors didn't go into any detail why might these task-based goals from your experience be less effective for those lower prioritators oh i don't know i I'm, I'm guessing it's something about the understanding of what they actually mean um you know if if, if i say to um, a student you need to kind of develop your answers more they might not really understand what that means i guess so i guess it comes down to what kind of the wording and and their understanding of what what the task might be um but that's why you know i break it down way beyond what the exam board do into a very you know have you written two paragraphs with the exam board don't say that you have to write in two paragraphs but that's a very simple thing for any student to visually look at so I, I think maybe it is to do with the the kind of the the, the breakdown of the task mm -hmm. um yeah I mean I don't know the answer um it was a very open question if you if you do know and you're listening live in the studio then do text in with your thoughts um if you're listening back then do of course tweet us at TT radio 2021 with your thoughts um it may be one of those cases of sort of you can't do metacognition without cognition you can't think mm. about how to improve and you can't plan and monitor and evaluate your work as effectively if you don't actually know how to improve um, in terms of sort of the subject content and the subject knowledge. And that might be what's holding back below prioritainers. Again, I don't know. Um, if you think you do know, um, or if you've got any ideas, then please do text in and let me know. Um, 
going back to parents, and again, I'm going to try and make an argument in favour of target grades, even though, as I'm sure you can tell, I'm sort of treading water and gasping for air. Um, some students, some parents might complain that if they don't have target grades, um, they're unsure as to how well their student, their child is performing compared to what you might call so-called expected progress. Um it's a weak, I think it's a clumsy and weak argument, um, personally, but I've had parents before in parents' evenings say, well, what is my child's target? Um, because we do supply that data. Um, how can schools do this in a way which is more effective or just as effective without using target grades in terms of reporting to parents on progress? I'm sure you've got plenty of ideas and experience on this, Dawn. Yep. Um, so, um I, I think, um, and lots of teachers might be slightly different from this, but I think that most parents want to know whether their, their child is getting on okay or not. Mm-hmm. Actually, to a parent, that, a lot of parents don't understand the one to nine still because they might have got A stars um, to G themselves. So I still have people going, oh, you know, what's a four? Is that an old C? You know, so actually their understanding in some cases is quite limited unless they're teachers anyway. But I think that parents just want to know, is my child getting on as you would expect them to? Are are you happy with how your child is getting on? And I think that actually having a conversation, as I've said, about specifically what it is that their child can do, what their child already knows, and then what they need to know and what they need to be able to do is much more fruitful. So in terms of reporting... I actually think that um, if we were to kind of revolutionise the whole system, subjects at a department level should could come up with a very uh, specific, very um, clear process within a department of what we expect students to be able to do and know. And then they will, a teacher will make a professional judgment, is this student on track to do this as they need to do it? Yes or no? Are they on track? Are they whatever you want to call it on track, making progress? And that's what we report to parents. And if it's a no, then we can go to parents and say, right, at the moment they're here, they can do this, this and this, but they need to be able to do this, this and this. This is how we can support them. This is how you can support them. This is what they need to do. Um, I just think it's a much more fruitful discussion to talk about specifically what they need to do. Otherwise, you just get this generic nonsense of, oh, yeah, they need to revise to get better or they just, you know, it, it because grades are so vague and they don't mean anything, it's just a, a waste of a conversation, really. Um, I have done stuff in the past where I've actually, um, where years ago when I used to have to write reports, I actually got the students to write the reports and I told them, write down two things that you, you, you know that you can do well and write do two things that you need to work on very, very specifically. And that gave parents, a, you know, a clear indication of what it was that they need to work on. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, coming back down to subject, let subject professionals and subject areas make that decision and then report up, is this student doing what they should be doing? 
Mm. Um, anybody, anybody, anybody who still has to produce written reports, yeah. you've just got a <laughs> lovely piece of time-saving advice there. <laughs> um, I don't have to write reports, so I'm very, so I, but um, I can sort of live. You know, if I wasn't listening, I could still live in blissful ignorance. But um, no, it's a brilliant time-saving idea. There. Get, you get, you get your own students to write your reports. What a lovely idea! Yeah. Um, but it, it does sound a little bit. What you're proposing, though, does sound eerily similar to those APP grids, mm. which pair, which yeah. primary school teachers have loathed, and you know, a, a bit 2015. Um, yeah. Your response to that? Yeah. I think you've got to be really careful because it can turn into that. But I think um, what I do is make a holistic judgment on that student r rather than it being a sort of tick list. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a professional judgment. And I think if, if subjects work really well together in a department to kind of work out what we mean by this, what we're actually saying, I think that you can avoid that kind of tick list approach and have a holistic view of that student and what they're doing because at the end of the day um you know you adding up numbers on a spreadsheet to then come to a decision on a grade is utter nonsense because you know that, that for so many reasons um but actually looking at their work holistically might give a, a, a better overview but that relies on um, I guess experience of teachers, obviously moderation and subjects being really clear. But I think actually that could be quite empowering for subjects because actually then it makes it really clear what are we saying? What are we saying means that they are doing what they need to be doing um, because some teachers aren't always clear themselves what, what that actually means. Um, no, so and, I, and I, I suppose I'm thinking of some of the examples in my setting. If you're a teacher who teaches... You say you get what I'm thinking. You say RRE teachers, and if you say you get one hour a week, uh, but most of your classes say you've got 15, 15, possibly 15, 14, 15 classes of key stage three students, yeah. and you've got 30 in a class, that's 450 students potentially. Let's say 400. Um, you know, and it's, it's quite a laborious process to think about. Every single part of a curriculum, or most parts of a curriculum, will do it holistically, oh. even, and think, hmm. So, you know, and think, is this child exceeding expectations? Are they meeting expectations? Um, so, yeah. Do you see any potential implications for workload? Um, it, it depends how you how you carry it out. Um, I think that. Um, Again, it will come down to kind of good um, subject leader being able to work that out. You know, Ofsted say that the curriculum is the model of progress. So if that child is in my class and they are there and they are learning, they're making progress. I don't need to put that onto a scale. I don't need to put that into a grade. You know, if they're there and they're learning, now how do we know they're learning? Well, we can do lots of quick, informal, low stakes quizzing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can do a piece of work. You know, if they're using the correct terminology, um, explaining concepts, they're making progress. So actually, do we need to kind of have all, you know, the specifics or how much progress, you know, at, at what level? Actually, they are making, you know, they're, they're making progress and and it's a the curriculum as the progress model 
is a really interesting one because it kind of shifts that a little bit. Do they know more? Can they do more? Yes, they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's re- it's really. I think it's a certainly a very fair and strong argument, um, and certainly based on the curriculum as a regression model, knowing more and remembering more and learning being the change in long term memory as well. Um, but a lot of schools, even with the new offset criteria um, for inspections, are still using target grades. Mm. Um, and this is old data here from the FFT. This is from 2019, February 2019. So um, it, it so the tree figure may well have gone down. The fig teacher tap has suggested that it has. Um, but um, let's have a look. 43% of teachers who were surveyed um, said that it, it was their school's current practice as of February 2019 to give out target grades in year seven or year eight. That's 43% of teachers who were surveyed. However, just 9% of teachers felt that that was a good practice. So 43% of teachers Mm. said it was their school's current practice. Only 9% um, felt they should do this. Interestingly, once you filter that down to SLT, 14% 14% of senior leaders said um, that um, they should be given out in year seven or eight target grades. 14% compared to 38% of teachers whose schools were giving them out. So even if schools are giving out target mm-hmm. grades very early on, more teachers in schools who are, who are doing that actually think it's not a good idea. So why, why hasn't there been a shift? Why is there mm-hmm. this sort of disparity between what teachers think is good practice and what is current practice. I think the whole thing with target grades has been external accountability has been pushed down to school leadership that then gets pushed to middle leaders that gets pushed down to teachers and then it's suddenly been labelled onto onto students. It's that external end point that people worry too much about when actually you know, at least at a student and, and, and teacher level and middle leader, we should be thinking about the kind of the journey and the end, not not worrying too much about the end point if we know that the journey is a good one, i.e. if we know our curriculum is a good curriculum, we know by the end, if the student is successful in that curriculum, then actually they will meet that end point. And I think it's been pushed down you know, school league tables um, have been pushed down, you know, percentages, whether it's progress A or used to obviously be percentages, um, you know, A stars to C. Mm-hmm. That has been pushed down. And I think um, the same as when the government got rid of um, levels in key stage three, I'm not sure that, that a lot of people have a great understanding or good enough understanding of assessment to really think about, well, what could we do? A lot of people just do what they always did. Oh, when I was a teacher, when I was a head of department, we did this. I'm now in SRT. Oh, we'll do that. Uh, I, I think actually, you know, what we do in the classroom and what school leaders need is probably actually two different kind of bits of information. And what we've done is we've shoved it all together to feature as a grade. And actually what we need to do is unpick, well, what is it that senior leaders want to know? What is it that governors want to know? What is it that teacher, what middle leaders need to know, teachers need to know, what do students need to know, what do parents need to know? And because we've shoved that all as one, because it's easier, 
you know, just give it one and then you can give that to the governors and the SLT and the parents and the kids. Actually, what we've done is we've taken out kind of actually any sort of meaning. So actually, it might seem more work that the conversation we have with a student would be a different conversation that you might have with a governor. But actually, that so it might run as different systems. Um, so, yeah, I think we've we've kind of shoved everything together as one when actually we need to be a little bit more sophisticated in our thinking and think what is it that we need to know. You know, senior leaders probably need to know the same as parents. In this subject at the moment, is this student where they need to be? If not, what can we do to support them? What needs to happen? What, what you know? And if they are, great, fine. That, that's what leaders need to need, know, right? You know, um, do they need to know they're two grades off, three grades off? They either need to know that they are kind of on track or not, I, I would argue. Mm. It, thank, thanks so much for that. Um, very interesting. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to a quick word for our sponsors. And I'm going to ask Dawn, um, how can ordinary teachers like me go about convincing middle leaders or senior leaders um, that we should be moving away from this culture of target grades without getting ourselves into any trouble. So we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors and I'm going to ask Dawn that question. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Thanks very much. Great to hear from our sponsors. It is 5.01pm now. You are listening to A Drive Home with me, Tom Hopkinsburg, on the 21st of October. I've been joined for quite a while by Dawn Cox and Dawn is still with us. Um, I'm also delighted to be joined by Marcus Shepherd. Marcus is principal of the Wales Academy in Nottingham, um, where he's leading what they call its mission to greatness. He's a Teach First graduate and um, he took on his first headship in Derby at the age of just 27. And he's the co-founder of MixEd UK, a platform for education to explore mixed race identity. Um, welcome to the show, Marcus. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Can you hear me? I don't know if my I can, headphones I can, are I can, hear, I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm on half term, so sorry to rub it into everybody, but it's been great. It's, been it's great. fine, it's fine. We're part yeah. of a two-week half-term club here in Nottingham. Oh, um, yeah, um, what have you made of this? You've been listening. What have you made of the discussion so far? Yeah, it's been fascinating. It's, I, I've really enjoyed the lots of the comments that have been made, particularly around... I think the thing that interests me about grades is when you ask people, what is a grade? I'm a maths teacher by trade, so statistics interest me. And I think what people don't understand is what a grade actually is. A grade is a measurement of performance on an exam that's been standardised across thousands of data entry points. So when people try and, it doesn't matter what subject you are, I'm a maths teacher, maths is probably easier to explain it, but you know, it doesn't matter what subject you are, you can't determine, even by saying that that student was a grade seven, your guest earlier was exactly right. What which questions did they answer? What questions did they need to answer better to get to get a grade eight? Um, so I think grades have always interested me, particularly at key stage three. Um, uh, I always find them really interesting because I think anyone who says they can grade a key stage three piece of work at GCSE. It's talking rubbish, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, certainly I know that a lot of schools have sort of used flight paths in the past, where sort of in year seven, oh, you're working at grade one. And so in year eight, you're going to work at grade two. In year nine, you're going to work at grade three. Year 10, grade four. Year 11, grade five. Um, and, you know, I've got strong thoughts on that. Um, what do you think of that sort of approach, Mark? Is, is that something you've come across? Well, I have to put my hands up. You know, back in the day, I, I was one of those people ticking those off and, uh, and and marking them off. So I always accept where I've uh, I've, I've had my misgivings. But um, I think th- th- I remember going to an interview for a future leaders thing, and I said they asked me what I would do in key stage three curriculum. This is before the Ofsted curriculum discussion, and I said I would get rid of grades, and it was met with kind of absolute horror. They were like, "That's ridiculous! It's the stupidest thing anyone said." You know, and I said, "Well, actually, all I care about is what." What topics, what questions, what topics do they need to do to get better? Um, I want to give them a proper, whether you call it QLA, proper detailed formative assessment, and then not just give them the feedback, but then what are we going to do with that then? How's that going to shape your next set of lessons? When are you going to go back and revisit that? When are you going to retrieve, do the retrieval? Um, when are you going to reassess it? Um, and so, you know, I think people who do that, it's, what, it, what it often is, is quite a convenient and easy, a simple solution to a quite complex problem because progress, if you mapped 100 year sevens from where they were in year seven to when they got to year 11, they're, they're paths of where they got to. Let's say 100 kids who ended up getting a seven at the end of year 11. If you map their progress in each subject from year seven to year 11, the, the journey, you, you, wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to plot it. It would just be so kind of random because some kids would do well at the beginning and then have a tail off. Some kids would do really well all throughout. Some kids would start off bad and then, and then get better. Some kids would start off really well and then t- tape off. So I think it's just a really, it's, it, it's, it's try, someone trying to suppose, impose a, a sim, very, very simplistic solution, linear solution to quite a complex problem. Um, yeah. which is progress. Thanks for that, Marcus. And certainly I think that point about using that feedback to feed forward, I think is a really important one, um, especially I think in your background, a subject like maths, um, where so much of the new content that you teach in a particular year is built on what's been taught before and certainly teaching, talking to a maths teachers in our school, um, they've spoken, you know, almost horrified at sort of the impact which lockdown has had on their ability to teach new concepts with students who have huge gaps and their learning and certainly using that feedback to feed forward um, is particularly useful. I'm going to bring Dawn back in um, and then I'm going to come back to you, Marcus. Um, Dawn, um, I was just curious, how, how does your school use Key Stage 2 data in Year 7? 
Um, so in, in my school, um, we use Key Stage data, uh, 2 data along with CATS and we come up with indicative banding. Mm-hmm. So basically it, it is GCSE um, numbers, but a, a banding. And so it might be three to five, four to six, five to seven, et cetera. And um, we are then asked to comment, are they making progress towards that? Mm. It's interesting. I haven't really heard of something like that before. Thanks, that, Dawn. And if I can go back to Marcus, um, you know, you're, you're the principal of a school. You get these students in from year six. Um, obviously, the last two years, you've had no hard Key Stage 2 data. But typically speaking, how does your school use that Key Stage 2 data at the start of year seven? Things like creating target grades, things like setting. What, how, how do you use that data? Yeah, so we do a combination of things so very similar to, to Dawn, where we'll get their we'll get their key sets two data. We'll do cat fours, um, and we'll do some NGRT and some other baselining, and then we'll use all that information to to use our our kind of grade target setting methodology. And that, that when we talk about target setting, we're talking about right statistically, this is how similar students from similar prior data. Um, and characteristics perform what we don't do is, is then share that with year seven to say right your target is now a four or your target's a six your target's an eight you know but what what i think is really important the first step is whenever you're going to have that discussion even if it's just with staff to start in year seven which is what we do explain what that actually is so when i was a kid i got target grades fft target grades of um, of like a b um because i was a, i was a pp kid i was a higher higher achiever i got a level five and sats but i was a pp kid so my grade wasn't as good as my friends next to me and so the teacher explained why that was the case. They were really honest with me. And then I was like, okay, that makes sense now. Well, there's no way I'm going to get a B. I'm going to aim for something higher. And actually, if I know that other people similar to me are getting that, then it's going to push me to try and try and get better. So we, we try and explain that to this teacher so there's no kind of settling in year seven straight away. Um, what we then do is look at the setting based on that and say, right, we've taught our kids for a half term. We've done some assessments ourselves. And we sit with the heads of departments and we say, does this set feel right for this student? Um we then sort of set and we call it like loose setting. And then we, we say that we can move students. So we typically normally just move up, but we don't make any decisions on a student's um, you know, career in maths or English for the next five years based on, based on that data. It's, it's, a, it's a much more holistic approach to it. Interesting. So at what stage do you, you say you don't share GCSE so-called target grades with students in year seven? At what, at what point do you typically share them? So we've we've just in fact we've interesting because we relaunched we've kind of just started our target setting process mm-hmm. so um, we we at the moment um, share that with them when we approach key stage four so and we are really clear about listen this is statistically so we use FFT as part of our methodology FFT twenty and we explain the process to students we explain to them this is the, all this is is a, is a statistical indication of what similar students have got. This is not saying this is what this is all you can get or what you should be aiming for. Uh, for some students, it's it's lower than that they want. For some students, it's higher than what they kind of said. Well, that's what I need. Um, but we have that conversation, and then we'll talk about their performance and their progress, and we'll say, you know, these are the steps you need to take to get better. Because um, actually, what we focus on is, um, so every assessment we do, and we we pay we pay ex- external admin to do this. So it's not teachers. We'll do a kind of thorough QLAs and formative assessments, so so the kids can see. I don't really care what grade you're getting in year 10. This is what you need to do to get better um, because we think that's really important. So we typically share those grades around key stage four, but um, we call them minimum expected, which I think um, guest earlier said, and we also will change them. So if a student um, 
that say does a mock exam at the end of year 10 and, and significantly outperforms it will say well there's no way that's your minimum expect anymore now it's moved from a, a six to an eight um and that change will happen and won't go backwards. Um, so it's just about having that discussion with the students and the culture of the students of, you know, this is just a statistical indication. We're not saying we believe this is you. We're saying, you know, let's have that discussion. What do you want? We meet with the kids. What do you want? Well, this is what you're going to need to do to get there then. That's, yeah, um, that's a really, really interesting approach. So what, what do you make of sort of those schools, which and they do exist, which sort of insist that students' exercise books need a target grade sticker on the front of them? Um, what, what, do you make, what do you make of that approach? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very much a person of, I think, everyone to their own. I don't have a particularly strong opinion on lots of different things. I think too much in education, people, it's, it's, it's too black or white it's one way or the other um so you know schools have got to do what they feel is right for their students um you know putting a, a target grade on a, on a book um it depends what culture you're setting depends what you talk how you're talking about it, how you're using that to motivate students um or are you doing it actually just so that if someone walks in to do an observation they can see that the kid knows the target grade and let's not get away from the fact i think we talked about it earlier but a lot of these things a lot of a lot of practice in schools, particularly schools that maybe are um, requires improvement or in, 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 in a category like schools I've worked in, um, they are doing things so that they can get through an Ofsted process. And actually Ofsted have now changed their approach. But, you know, I was in, I've been teaching long enough to know when Ofsted inspectors walked into my room to, to observe my lessons, they would say, oh, do you know your target grade? And I would turn around and say, well, the better question would be, do you know what steps you need to take to get better? Because you can know your target grade as much as you want, but if you don't know how to get there or how to get past it, it's no use. Um, so I don't really, I don't really condemn anybody. I don't celebrate anybody who does that. I think each to their own. I think just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and you're measuring the impact of that rather than just doing it because you feel the need to do it. Thanks for, thanks for that, Marcus. Very, very measured response. And um, you appreciate that. Um, I suppose then, um, how how do you report on progress to parents then? Yeah, so we we've just started a new approach, and we'll see how it goes. Um, so we um, we don't set grades for key stage three. So we we will write our assessments. Uh, our assessments are, are written based on what we've expected our students to have learned to that point um, in in their in their school journey in key stage three. That is, um, and then we will give them um, a percentage mark. Um, and then we'll give them real detailed feedback. So, for example, let's say they've been studying history. It might talk about, you know, they understood, let's say, the cause of World War One, but they couldn't talk about um, the impact of, uh, I, I don't know, X, Y or Z. Um, in maths, it would be these are the topics, and it might be even finer than that. These are the parts of the topics that they, they still need to work on. Um, because as a parent myself, if someone said to me, your students are free, um, or your, your, your boys are five, I'd say, okay, what, what, what is it they need to do then? What, what can I help them with? So that's how we're reporting at the moment. It's a new cycle. The first cycle goes out next week. Um, so we're looking forward to getting, sorry, week after. So we're looking forward to getting some feedback. But we're very much a case of um, this is the percentage that they got. Um, these are the things they need to improve on. Our assessment systems work such that we will reassess that later down the line to see, um, because our students, our staff will be doing input with the kids to see how they've benefited from it. But we don't really, you know, the, the thing with progress is, listen, you can't talk about progress happening in discrete blocks of half terms, terms. Progress is a, it's not a linear journey. And when people talk about knowing more, learning more, 
if, if you can't have that approach and then want to discuss progress in finite detail every like four times a year, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense. Thanks for that, Marcus. If I can bring Dawn back in, um, what what do you what do you make of what Marcus has said about how um, things you like uh, uh, you know reporting to parents and progress and using the curriculum as a progression model? What do you make of how Marcus is um, is doing that in his school? Yeah, I, I think that at Key Stage 3, kind of the less we talk about it, the better, really. I, I think that there, there might be a case that towards year 11 um, that we can have sort of conversations more about grades because, um, you know, they're starting to apply for college, starting to play, play for sixth form, and actually it becomes a little bit more real. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree that it's, it's about the learning. It should be conversations about learning rather than, the numbers really or, or letters or whatever whatever school system use uses thanks about dawn yeah and I, you know I, I i'd like to echo that i think it, you know obviously we'll wait we'll wait to see because it's a new approach we'll wait to see what the impact is but i think it's very promising and um, you know i really like the sound of it so thanks about marcus um and yeah fi finally my final question to both of you um is really about mock exams, or they're sometimes called pre-public examinations now, or PPEs. Um, how often are they, these set, perhaps in year 10 and year 11? And how often do you think they should be set, do you think? Should there be sort of one set of mock exams in year 11 before the real thing? Or do you think there should be maybe two sets or three sets? Uh, Dawn, if I could start with you on that one, please. Um, I think uh, we, we, we're talking about target grades, but I don't think actually mock exams have much to do with uh, grades or they shouldn't do. I think that um, anything that we get students to do other than the final GCSE, hopefully that they sit, it should be formative. And I think it should be a learning um, thing. I, should, I think that it should always be about what you can do, what you can't do, what you know, what you don't know. And um, yeah, we might have to generate a grade from it. But actually, this is all about learning. Um, we've, we've, we're kind of in the middle of mocks at the moment. And a student has, has said, I missed out a whole section. I said, that's not a problem. That is what a mock is for, for, for you to make mistakes, to then not make them in the real thing. And I think there's all sorts of benefits of having exams sitting in the hall. You know, sitting in the hall with 100, 100 200 peers in silence for an hour and a half is an experience and they need to experience that and they need to pra practice that. They need to practice writing for long periods of time. Um, so to me, mock exams, are, um, I know that um, analogy has been used in the past like a marathon. I think it is partly training for the marathon that they will eventually do at the end. And it is just those steps towards it. And things might not go right, but you're building up towards something that you are kind of training for. And I think um, it's really important that um, students experience that. But I'm not sure the really the role of grades and, until they've kind of looked at what they've learned, what they've not done, what they've done along the way. Thanks for that, Dawn. I'm not going to ask whether or not you think mock exams are more of a 5k or a 10k or a half marathon in the sort of you don't get better at marathons by running more marathons analogy. Um, if I can go to Marcus, Ben, in terms of mock exams, um, how, you know, what, what, what does good practice look like? Is it sharing grades with students? Um, or as Dawn's argued, using them entirely formatively? Yeah. How often do you think they should be held within a two year cycle? 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know what's good practice. I know what I've done previously and, and kind of, we work on a two, we do two um, PPEs uh, in year 11. We're doing one when we come back after half term and we're doing one um, in the new year. Um, not straight after the new, uh, Christmas, February, March time. Um, I think, I think it all depends on where your school's at. So the schools I've worked in typically I've had, the kids have had a poor diet in, in key stage three. So actually by the time they get to key stage four, they haven't, uh, it's not that you're really assessing what they've learned over a long period of time. You're assessing what they've learned in a short period of time um, and therefore working out what you need to teach them. Um, but I think what's really important is, is yeah, people understand that by year 11, um, you really should be refining and revising and um, you know the, the content. Um, if there are big gaps, that probably means that um, there's been issues elsewhere, um, which has typically been the schools I've worked in. And therefore, you then have to do what I would call a year 11 recovery plan, which is a we're going to use that information from the mock exam to really understand what it is you, you can and can't do and how I'm going to address those gaps. Um, so I think we always take the first mock exam and we don't say whatever grade you got based on the grade boundary, we'll then uh, we'll give a predicted grade based on our or data where we've looked at what kids got historically with mock exams and what they got in the actual exam. Uh, that typically works better in the core subjects and, and some of the EBAC rather than uh, like vocational subjects. Um, but I think they're a really critical part, like Dawn said, about not just preparing and training the kids, but also getting them to understand that um, it does come down to on the day. Um, and actually preparing for yourself for that and, and not panicking and, and actually understanding that if your strategy is, I'll just perform on the day, like a marathon. If you don't do any training and rock up to run a marathon on the day, it's probably not going to end very well unless you are absolutely super fit and therefore you have done a lot of training previously and maybe just had a week off. Um, so I think that they're really important. The reason why we do too is because particularly in subjects like science and maths, you are a sampling a domain. And actually you could do really well in one set of mock exams in maths because certain questions come up. You do the second set of PPEs, questions to come up that you're not familiar with and all of a sudden it identifies where those gaps are and for schools that maybe have had poor performance in the past um those gaps might be bigger uh, th th than than other schools thanks for that marcus um, and yeah can i just say a big thank you in particular to dawn who's now been on here for over an hour um who's been making the passionate and well argued and well evidenced um, case against target grades and um, thank you to you as well Marcus who um, has come on in the position as a school leader to talk about your experiences with data with target grades and um, and the like so a big thank you to Dawn I'm not sure if you already got a mug Dawn for teachers no, talk I radio haven't got a mug. But you can you can clay before you're oh, over an hour on, 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 on the show as a guest you can claim your teachers talk radio mug you just need to go to our website ttradio.org forward slash contact and say that you won it on the drive home with me um, on the 21st of October. And Mark is the same to you as well. If you need it, I'm sure you've got plenty of mugs, but if you want a new mug for your office, then do go to our website and claim your free mug and we'll get it sent to you and you have, you'll have it by the time you come back after half term, fingers crossed. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, Tom. No, absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Um, take care. Take care. <laughs> I 
I've got a bit of a challenge which I need to do now. Um, I know that Nathan's in the studio and he probably knows what I'm going to say now, which is that um, within the Teachers Talk Radio Hosts Network, we've been trying to end our shows exactly on one hour, 30 minutes and zero seconds. I'm currently on 122.10, so I've got just under seven minutes I'm going to fill now and try to finish exactly at one minute 30 and zero seconds. In the past, I've done one minute 30 and one second harry waters has done one minute 30 and one second i don't know what your personal best is nathan but i'd love to hear from you um because i'm going to try and get to one minute 30 one hour 30 and zero seconds um in order to fill the time before we do that i want to talk about actual grades and why actual grades are actually sometimes a load of nonsense as well um looking at the 2018 exam series 800,000 a-level grades and 5.4 million GCSE grades were handed out. However, Ofqual um, published a, the results of a study where a large number of these exams were double-marked, one by a general examiner and one by a senior examiner. Each examiner gave the exam a mark, which was then transformed into a grade. And so... Basically, they wanted to approach the following question. If the entire subject cohort scripts were to be fairly remarked by a senior examiner, for what percentage of scripts would the grades corresponding to the marks given by both examiners be the same? Or in simpler terms, what are the chances that both examiners would award the same grade? You'd expect this to be very high, wouldn't you? For maths, Marcus's subject, it was indeed at 96% reliability. But even then, that's saying 4%, 1 in 25 um, scripts were given different marks. And when you look at history, it was 56% reliability. And for RE, Dawn subjects, it was 66% reliability. And what that tells you is in history, my subject, 44% of originally awarded grades did not correspond to a mark given by senior examiner. And so one can argue this is a wrong grade. In RE, one in every three grades was wrong. And once the results across all 14 subjects in this study um, were um, adjusted and weighted according to cohort size, for every four grades awarded, one of these grades was, inverted commas, wrong when remarked by a senior examiner. For a student who sits eight GCSEs, that's two grades on average that are likely to be wrong, whether that's undermarked or overmarked. Um, and of course, our definition of wrong here is a different grade awarded by a second examiner compared to a first. And what that means really is that a lot of GCSE and A-level grades are a lottery and it depends which examiner or team of examiners marks the script. And it also depends on which subjects you sit. So Dennis Sherwood um, did a fantastic analysis of this report and he pointed out that for every 100 candidates who sat A-level maths, further maths and physics, about 19 would receive at least one wrong grade. But 81 would receive a certificate on which all three grades were right. But if for every 100 candidates sitting A-level English language, English literature and history, only around 20 would receive all three right grades, but around 80 would be awarded at least one wrong grade. And then when you link this into target grades and say students missed their grade by one mark, target grade by one mark, and then you sat in a meeting and you're asked, why did the student not get their target grade? There's a chance, a statistically significant chance, that that child was given the wrong grade. And so it links us back to what we've been talking about all afternoon, which is target grades and how they may be used in appraisals and how they might be used um, in terms of measuring progress. And actually, even the grades which come out of 
terminal external exams may not be entirely reliable. And so it kind of suggests that focusing on target grades and obsessing over the accuracy of marking is actually a bit of a waste of time. And so how can teachers be effectively held to account over their tar- over grades and target grades if one in every four grade is unreliable? You know, in many schools, teachers pay or even their job depends on externally awarded grades. And yet, in particular, history teachers or English teachers can't trust that these grades are reliable. And of course, if you resubmit it for a remark, the exam boards are reluctant to admit that they got it wrong in the first place. So that's certainly something which I want to talk about another day in terms of external examining. And so if you have um, examined externally for a subject, especially something like history or English or RE or geography or, you know, a written subject um, with extended writing, then I would love to hear from you on a future show. In terms of um, what we've got on after me, um, we've got three more shows today after me. We've got Leanne Lax, who is on right after me. She's starting at 6.15pm today with The Twilight Show. Um, at 8pm, we've got a Black History Month special with Genevieve Bent. And we've got The Late Late Show at 10pm with Stacey Ray. Um, I've got mad respect for our hosts with The Late Late Shows, um, because normally after a day at work, I'm fast asleep well before then. So make sure you do tune into those shows. And of course, if you're talking to according to any Teachers Talk radio show, and you've still got two and a half minutes today, you've got a chance to win a mug, a notepad and a badge. We're always on the lookout for brand new hosts. We've had some debut shows recently. Gemma Drinkle hosted her first drive home just 48 hours ago. What a show that was. Make sure you listen back if you didn't catch it live. Um, Rich Wrigley was back with a Tuesday Late Late Show earlier this week too and of course rich is cheating a bit with a staying up late bit of a late late show because he broadcasts from mexico city so it's actually only 4 p.m when he goes live and the really exciting news i'm so pumped for this is that adam boxer is now going to be hosting on teachers talk radio on the first sunday of every month his debut show is on the 7th of november at 8 p.m he's got an absolutely brilliant top-notch guest lined up i can't reveal who it is um, but that show, I'm sure, will be hitting the top of our listener rankings. Um, if you'd like to try hosting a show yourself, you don't have to be Twitter famous or experienced or head of department or senior leader. In fact, I'm none of those things. So if you think you can do a job hosting, you know, every week at a particular time, why not DM us at TT Radio 2021 on Twitter? Fill out the contact form on our website, ttradio.org forward slash contact, or send us an email at teacherstalkradio at gmail.com. We want to hear from as wide a range of voices as possible from all sectors of education, whether that's early years, primary, secondary, FE, HE, initial teacher training, adult education, careers education, teaching assistants, whoever you are, take the plunge and put in that application. And, you know, we want to hear from a wide range of voices. We had Dawn on today who was passionately arguing against the use of target grades. I was trying to play devil's advocate. I was trying to put forward scenarios where actually they might be useful or some alternative solutions where they could be adjusted to make it useful. And of course, at Teachers Talk Radio, we do believe in that diversity of opinion. We're committed to a range of voices and views being heard. So why not get your voice to be heard as well? I've no idea when I'm next going to be on. I'll see you around, I'm sure. I'll be on before you know it, probably next month, covering for another host. Enjoy your half term. If you've got one more day to go, the very best of luck. Not if you'll need it, you'll smash it. Tune in and talk it out. 
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Ten seconds too late.